Hello, and welcome back to APIs You Won't Hate. My name is Mike Bifolco. I am one of your co-hosts of APIs You Won't Hate. Uh, and today I am hanging out with my good pal, Phil Sturgeon. Phil, how are you doing today? Hello, I am good. I'm in the Netherlands and it is beautiful and sunny and there are sailboats going by the window. Fantastic. How are you doing? There we go. I'm doing good. That means I can update the map I have on my wall of where is Phil today uh, with a finite location for once, which is always a, a positive thing for me. Uh, I'm I'm home in North Carolina right now uh, and uh, have been enjoying a fairly stable few weeks of, of uh, life at home for once, which has been really nice. Um, happily, we are joined today by a, a new friend and guest of ours, Roy Pereira from Unified.2. Roy, it's really nice to have you here. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, I, I'm great. I'm uh, in Toronto. Uh, it's a little rainy today, but quite nice spring. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I've been to Toronto a handful of times and I'm always struck by uh, both how um, unbelievably nice people are to me, but also like uh, needlessly, uh, maybe needlessly from my American perspective, but wildly helpful people are. I think I must always look lost when I end up in Toronto and someone has always pointed me in the right way in a way that's like disarming and and um, shockingly kind to me. Yeah, that's typically a Canadian uh, thing. Uh, but it's funny because if you're from the rest of Canada, they'll say that Torontonians are rude. So it's, it, it is a spec. Well, fair enough, like all things, I suppose. Um, so Roy, uh, why don't you start a little bit by telling us about yourself? Uh, and of course, we want to talk about Unified, but I'd love to hear about your career, uh, how you got to where you're at today and the story of uh, how Unified came about. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, uh, I guess, what do you call a serial tech entrepreneur? I like starting companies. Um, I've started about five of them. Um, and it really starts right after university. I was taking computer science at university. I got really bored. I wanted to go change the world. I dropped out. Uh, and I started a startup and uh, realized after a couple of years that I had no clue how to run a business. Um, so luckily, uh, I uh, joined another startup, a real startup. Uh, this was during the dot-com era. Uh, we eventually got acquired. Uh, that's when I also moved from coding into more product management as well. So that was really a great eye opener. Uh, yeah, I went to the, went to the Valley, like a lot of tech people hanged out there, came back to Canada. Uh, and, and then, um, actually I did a bunch of publicly traded companies, which we won't get to, I'll try to forget about that, but went back into startup land, which is where I really love. Um, and, um, I've, I've been here ever since, uh, I'm a very technical founder, um, and CEO, uh, but, um, uh, I have a pretty big range, but I love tech and this is how I typically start. I typically start about, uh, thinking of what's, what I need in the, in the market that's missing. You know, that's the best way to actually start a company, right? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I guess that brings us then to the, the logical next step is, uh, what, what are you building now? And, and what was the question you're asking that you're starting to answer? Yeah, it's interesting how I got here because when I look back at all of my startups, I really think I'm a one-hit wonder. Um, I love abstracting data and abstracting APIs and connecting different APIs to do stuff. Um, and each company does different stuff, right? I, 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 I like to do different industries and so forth. And you know, I, I've done ad tech, advertising tech, where I've connected different ad servers together. Uh, the last company was scheduling, and we needed a bunch of data to schedule meetings with people. And so we did a bunch of integrations with our customers' uh, accounts, like CRMs and so forth. Um, and so I, I keep doing the same sort of architecture in terms of building out these integrations to third-party APIs. Um, and so I... Um, my last two companies were acquired and, and then the last one I was working for the acquiring company and I was thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I wanted to build out yet another SaaS application. This time it was going to be for salespeople to do something. It's irrelevant what I was going to do because I started thinking about all the data that I would need to actually build this, this product and data for my customers' accounts. Uh, and it, it really uh, upset me. Because I just had done a bunch of these integrations, not just at the last company, but the previous company before that too. And I was like, I can't do another Salesforce integration. No, I just can't. And I, I just hit a wall. And, and Salesforce was the one that hit me hardest. It was like, no, I can't do that. It's just like it pains me every time I look at that API documentation. And so I actually put it on hold. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy my summer. I'm not going to even think about that. It's too difficult. 
Um, but then I started talking to uh, colleagues, CEOs and CTOs, and uh, they were telling me how much of a pain that is, actually. And I was like, I know, I know it's a pain. But I talked to a CEO that basically said, it's not just a pain, it is a revenue limitation. I can't get my engineering team to build another integration to say HubSpot or some other CRM. And our revenue has been impacted greatly. Um, and that's when the light bulb moment hit me. And that's when I went back in. I said, this is the product that I need to build. I need to build a developer tool that allows SaaS applications to easily build in these third-party customer-facing integrations. Because in today's world, it's all about data and the data is everywhere. Uh, and you don't own that data. You are not the source of truth. Right. Uh, and so there are existing sources of truth out there. The, the sales forces of the world and sales world work day uh, for HR and so forth. Um, and so the pain that I was feeling in terms of building a new company, um, I turned that around and I said, I'm going to productize this uh, concept uh, and allow other apps, the other SaaS companies to easily integrate this unified API into their infrastructure, their product infrastructure, so that they can offer these customer integrations without spending a ton of time and money. Yeah, I think that is the sort of thing that uh, if, if you've built things from scratch or been on teams that have had to develop new uh, arms of a product, you find yourself answering the same questions over and over. Uh, and maybe a good litmus for that is, are you adding the same, like, am I adding 12 API key environment variables to my project? It's probably uh, scratching an itch that's, that's somewhere similar to what you're doing at Unified. Um, and in the end, I think all of the, I don't know, pick you, you pick your choice, CRM management, mailing list management, uh, error management, all of those things tend to feel the same. The APIs are similar, but they each have their own quirks. Um, it sounds to me like the goal of Unified is to give people the opportunity to do that without having to think about each API individually. Is that more or less right? Totally. And we actually have that written. It's like, we should get tattoos on that because that is our ultimate goal is to not have our customers, the developers, read third-party API documentation, right? So we want to unify as much as possible for the great, greatest amount of use cases so that our customers only use us, only look at our API documentation our SDK documentation, all of that, and never have to go and read a Salesforce API documentation or a Workday API documentation um, and not really care what the difference between HubSpot and Salesforce is. Because in, in a unified API environment, that should not matter. Yeah, so I was just having a look at this and uh, that, that, that felt weird in itself. I actually, you know, prepared for a podcast uh, styling, but um, I went through and had a little play around and it was well helpful. I, I couldn't quite visualize how this is going to work, right? Like, oh, it's an API that's abstracted everything else ever. Is that, is that helpful? But, um, looking, looking at the way you set it up, you kind of got integrations, just like it's, um, Zapier or something like that. It, it's called Zapier actually, because it rhymes with happier. I was told. Yeah, there you go. I've heard Americans say Zapier and I always want to complain about that, but fantastic. Um, but yeah, you kind of set up your integrations and the coolest thing I noticed was that it was like, do you want to use your own OAuth tokens or do you want to use ours? And I was like, oh, I could like integrate with uh, Discord, for example, um, without, without actually having to go and register an application and set up all of my config and do all of this stuff. I could just use your keys. And then what, so when the users of my application want to um, connect with Discord, there's a little button that you've generated with a single line of JavaScript that you embed. You click on that and it opens up a whole flow of like, hey, why don't you go and connect with Discord using our tokens? Um, that that just cuts out so much time. Um, yeah. Yeah, we did that because we, with that time to the uh, the aha moment is super important in any, any product. But as a developer, you have so many choices. You are Googling, how do I you know do X? Um, and you don't have a lot of time because you're on a sprint, right? And you have like a two-way sprint cycle. And so if you can get to that, ah, this does what I need to do. Um, and so what we wanted to, to allow our developers, uh, customers to, to do is to utilize our, our uh, unified API to test it. And so we actually went out and we got all of our um, OAuth credentials, it's called technically, so that they can actually use ours. 
would they launch their product with ours? No. And in fact, you can't, uh, or you shouldn't. Uh, but uh, it is a great way to test and to play around with the system. Most developers are great developers because they play with stuff, right? Until they, they're comfortable with it. So that's what we wanted them to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if I'm, if I'm trying to sit around working out, I mean, you were just talking about when you've done 10 Salesforce integrations in a row, but when you're that person who's just start, starting to try and work out what CRM to use, and you've got to go and try out 10 different CRMs, you've got to set up a credential for 10 different apps to see how they go. That is incredibly annoying. Um, and this, it is setting up OAuth credentials is one of the worst things that has not been fixed, by the way. I, I think at some point we're going to have to take a look at that uh, or the industry is going to have to come up with standards. It's, it's horrible. And we get quite a lot of support calls uh, from customers and developers who are sort of stuck, even though we have how-to articles on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. There's so, so much standardization involved in OAuth too as to how the flows work and different processes work. But like, what's the, what's the user interface for it? I don't know. Actually, out. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, some, I mean, the way I've generally kind of gone about this problem in the past is using kind of installable packages when they exist. So for example, there's things like Omni or that can help my specific application in uh, Ruby on Rails. You can integrate with a bunch of different, um, like Facebook and Twitter and all these different OAuth login things, and it will kind of generate some views for you. So you get a bit of interface kind of made up or we were talking on a recent episode about how um there's lots of different like geocoding apis and you can find a you can find a geocoder php and it's got drivers for 10 different you know apis things like that there there's been attempts to abstract certain certain verticals all over the place um but yeah there's pros and cons to having that as a SaaS itself versus a bit of software that you're you're controlling but those are very niche you know or and geocoder like what what sort of API is that you trying to abstract? Yeah, it's a really good point, uh, Phil. So there's been, um, I think, some unification of APIs in the past that we've seen. Authentication for sure. So you have Okta and Auth0, you have Firebase, uh, you have Superbase. Um, they're trying to uh, unify them uh, somewhat. And I think authentication is pretty well done. Uh, I mean, it's a massive market. Uh, Okta is like $2 billion of revenue a year uh, just for authentication. Um, but if you go back a little further, you actually see, uh, uh, now I'm blanking here, uh, Plaid. There it is, Plaid as unified API for financial services, for transactions, right? How they were getting the data is a little different than what we're gonna talk about because we're all talking about APIs. A lot of times Plaid was screen scraping sites, uh, bank sites, but what they represented to their customers. Yeah, I know. Uh, but their their representation to their customers was a singular unified API. Uh, and I thought that was really, really interesting and smart. Um, of course, integrating into, say, B2B applications like sales and, and um, HR applications um, has been done in the past. I wouldn't call them a unified API that much. There was a couple of companies like Cloud Elements and some others that have tried to do this uh, in the last 10 years or so. Um, but that unification was sort of lagging. And um, the issue there, again, is if a developer has to both implement your solution, but also read the API documentation of the integration, then what sort of value are you really adding there? So I, I think pushing it to its, its, um, its maximum in terms of unification is super important for us. So to answer your question though, Phil, so we're really targeting on two, what we call clusters, cl categories, uh, the HR space with HRIS, uh, performance management uh, directories, and ATS, applicant tracking systems for recruiting. So that cluster is uh, quite important for um, software companies that target um, employee benefits, for example, or anything around an employee or anything around a candidate. Um, and that seems to be a very large market around the world is about 15,000 or so software companies that, that do target that. Um, and it's also a really interesting industry because there are clear sources of truth, these platforms that store the employee data. 
especially employees. So Workday, SAP, ADP, all of those big, older software companies that um, have the lion's share of the market. And when you talk about, say, older or more established companies, let's call them more established, you typically uh, are talking about a, an API that maybe isn't as modern as it should be. So it's very difficult to interface with, to, to integrate into your application and then to monitor and to maintain it. So that's one cluster that we target. We also target sales and, and, and marketing uh, support as well. Uh, those are also very important categories. Um, there's quite a lot of sales software out there. If you think about sales enablement uh, or sales cadences, uh, reaching out to prospects and so forth, uh, mailing list software, all of that, uh, trying to get that customer to go through your funnel down to convert and to upgrade. So those are the two that we target today. And of course, our architecture allows us to expand into others. We've had lots of conversations, you know, uh, truck shipping logistics, for example, comes up uh, sometimes and it's like, oh, that may be a little bridge too far right now. Well, we are a small company. We want to focus. Yeah, Roy, I'm really curious in hearing a little bit about the story of how things got started. So. It seems to me that one of the challenges with building a company like this is if you're going to unify APIs, you need to uh, start with an MVP that tackles quite a bit of surface area from an implementation standpoint. What did the very first version of Unified look like? Where, where did you start in this mess of uh, unifying APIs across all sorts of industries? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We started with the architecture. So we're actually just five months old. We started in January-ish of this year, 2023. And we started with the architecture. We, we did the hard work ahead of everything else. Um, and it was just based off of experience. You know, what did we do in the past and past companies? What worked, what didn't work? Um, you know, we did some research into how much time we spent on integrations in some of the latter last companies. And that's quite a lot. And it wasn't just building. Building actually was, I think, the easy part in terms of time management. It was actually maintaining them. APIs change all the time, things break. Sometimes the API documentation isn't actually what the API has. Uh, and so there's a, all sorts of issues there. Oh, API keys expire and uh, auth credentials expire and so forth. So um, so we basically started with what do we know uh, worked, what, what didn't work, and we built the core architecture. And what we found was it took a long time uh, and we only really started building integrations in the last couple of months, to be honest. And those have been added very quickly now that we have the architecture. And so now we have 92 integrations that we've built out in the last two, three months. Uh, we're actually getting faster and faster at building them. But we also created, again, the, the core to also monitor and to manage them after they're launched and after they're connected to a, a customer's account. And so that's super, super important to us because we don't want it to break and not know, uh, but also to our customers because they rely on, on our stuff working, right? And, and if it doesn't work, then why are they using us instead of having an internal team, for example? Yeah, this is something we were talking a little bit before we hit record um, and it was a good conversation and we should have just hit record. Um, but I was talking about how I feel like there's kind of, whether it's two binary types of API developer or a bit of a sliding scale, um, you're talking about how there's kind of the people that just don't really care all that much about APIs and want to write the quickest, shortest, brickest, happy path they possibly can, where they just get the thing and smash it through JSON decode and hope for the best. Um, and then there's the people who are often very excited about APIs and, um, want to build all sorts of wrappers around it. So they've got a soft dependency and make that into a mapping service instead of talking to a map. And, get very kind of complex about, about the architecture. Um, and I'm wondering which any, which type of customers you're, you're aiming to target there, because I feel like neither of them, <laughs> neither of them could be interested, even though all of them can benefit from it. Like how do you wedge in against those sort of people? Yeah. You know, we're all developers, right? Um, and the, all developers feel like they can build it, right? Product manager comes in the room and says, Hey, I need X. And they're like, yeah, I can build that. No worries. Um, and even as you get more senior, you still feel like you could build it. I think maybe you have maturity and you say, well, maybe I'm going to look at alternatives, build versus buy kind of thing. 
Um, and so what we're finding our customers uh, are the type that they've built it. Uh, so they know how much of a pain it is to build, but also to maintain. And really, again, that maintain part is really the, the thing that hits you, the tech debt. Uh, and then the fact that you don't have time to build features, features in your product that are differentiate your product, that's really killer. Because then you're disappointing your product manager, your CEO, your CEO is complaining about lack of revenue, growth, and so forth. Um, so we typically get those types of CTOs or developers coming to us. And um, what we're finding is that they want to expand. So they just got asked to build XYZ integration that they don't have. They have like maybe one or two. Uh, and so they need to add it because a customer requests it. And so obviously the CEO wants it, salespeople want it. Um, but they'll add that integration, but then they also will go back and replace their integration that they built natively as well. Because once they get comfortable with the fact that this actually works better, the architecture is better done than their quick architecture that they did or lack of architecture. Um, and so they're, they're really happy. Like you can actually see like a sock of relief, uh, especially when you're having these video calls, you actually see their faces and they're like, oh my God, I don't have to think about that anymore. Um, and so to answer your question, yes, they are like the typical developer that loves to build stuff, but is sort of reluctant to really go deep and, and to own it because it's not core. Like this is not what their job is. This is not what their product is. Their product does some other mousetrap thing that's cool and differentiates it. Um, talking to a customer facing API is like not sexy and it's not really part of your core differentiator but it's necessary. And so I think they understand that for sure. And so they're, they're quite happy to, to give that off. Um, and yeah, I sort of equate it to nobody hosts websites anymore on a server in, in your closet. You know, we gave that up a long time ago. We gave that control up. It's like, hey, you know what? I trust AWS or Azure or Google. Um, I don't have to think about this. I'm just going to let them do it. And now, you know, you saw... With Plaid, uh, you saw with Okta, with authentication, you know, Twilio, with SMS and voice. Um, so there's a lot of examples out there. Uh, and so this is yet another infrastructure that we license, use a better uh, word, but uh, license to include in our product so that we can actually focus on our product better. And the developers understand this. They don't want to build this stuff. Yeah, it strikes me that there's a pretty good parallel for this uh, that that most probably even non-developers can relate to in photography. Uh, that you know, for a very long time, people who were into photography were the ones who spent their lives like studying photography and figuring out how to use a camera and like what an aperture is and buying the right film for whether they're going to be outside or inside. Then digital cameras came along, and uh, you know, we had a little more access to things like the the. Equivalent to this might have been when um, services like Okta started appearing and maybe there were a bunch of choices and uh, the APIs were a little clunky and whatnot. Um, but what really made things go mainstream for all of us is suddenly we all have a camera on our phone and like the UI for the camera on your phone looks like the UI for the camera on my phone. And it looks like, you know, an Android one and a Palm OS one and a Windows OS one and all those kind of look the same. And uh, suddenly the experts on, um, you know, authentication and payment and HRIS and all those other things can do their thing. Uh, while the people who just need to use them in uh, their day-to-day -day work uh, can benefit from it. And um, centralizing these sort of APIs and giving, uh, you know, maybe albeit a simplified API uh, for some of these things really empowers a lot more functionality and broader adoption um, across the industry. Um, what, what's the education side of things look like for you? Are you finding that uh, the value proposition of like, you know, hey, maybe you came to, someone comes to Unified for, um, um, like a sales CRM uh, integration, uh, are they finding their way into other bits of API um, uh, facets that you're unifying, say call centers or recruiting, things like that too? Yeah. So we call those clusters because they are um, sort of intertwined somewhere or can be depending on the, their use case, right? So if you're just doing sales enablement, you probably just want the CRM uh, and maybe the enrichment uh, APIs that we built. Um, but if you're doing some other sales or customer-oriented software, something around the customer, you may actually want to track uh, the call center activity on that customer, along with maybe the mailing list. I don't know. 
So those uh, subtypes can can intertwine, just like HR in uh, in applicant tracking systems. Candidates and employees. A candidate turns into an employee, so you want a good yeah. handoff. Um, but those two clusters don't really merge or or um, intertwine at all. Um, we find. Um, but to answer your question a different way, we do have customers coming in or prospects, let's say, who are looking for a Zapier clone. And we're not a Zapier clone. We don't compete with Zapier or no code. In fact, we are code. You know, if it's an API, you have to code with the API. We make it super simple, one line of code, but you still have to code. You're a developer. Zapier is not for developers. Um, and we don't offer the automations that a Zapier uh, does, and that's not our role. Uh, we're not an ETL either. We're not taking data from one database and putting it in another database. Um, we basically don't want to add any business logic whatsoever. We want to give our customers the raw material, uh, making it super simple for them, but they are building a product and they are controlling their business logic the way they want to. If they want to store the data somewhere, it's up to them. Like they. Not up to us. We're not going to offer that. Um, we're just making it super, super simple. We're, we're focusing very much on this one problem space. I think the other confusion that happens is we get a lot of uh, prospects coming in that want to manage their own customer, uh, sorry, their own accounts. So their own Salesforce account. They want to automate their Salesforce account, moving data from it to something else. And that's really a Zapier use case, again, um, where you're managing your own accounts for your own business, not your customer's data. Yeah, I think if I try and make it a bit more concrete, because what I've, what I've said about it so far is like, you can skip OAuth 2 and that's cool. But I think to, to talk about it a bit more, um, I, I was playing around with it and, and I was trying to think of like a, a similar kind of vibe. And it, it reminded me of on uh, Ghost. I've been using Ghost a lot, the CMS. Um, and it's super cool because like you sign up to Ghost and then it's just got this massive pile of integrations. You can click integrate, 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 integrate. Um, and then it asks me for my or tokens as the user of Ghost, um, and then kind of Ghost doesn't really care about those integrations, you know, because they could just be running through something like you. Um, and then in the background, Ghost can be using all that data to, to much things around. So, um, yeah, it, it's kind of like that, especially with the with the handy little JavaScript SDK, or not not SDK, the JavaScript one liner that you've got. You can like have your embedded integrations. Um, so I could be. Oh, it all sounded very clever in my head, but if I'm building an application like Ghost, right, and I need to add loads of integrations to it, I can just pick a bunch of your integrations, embed that one line of JavaScript, and then it's got that UI all built out with a list of all those integrations that, that my end user can then can then um, click on and integrate their accounts with my application. Um, yeah. It's all about speed, right? The developer doesn't want to waste three months of their time building out an integration on the back end and then building out the front end user interface for their customers. Like all of this is common stuff. Like we're we're even going to come out with some other common widgets, actually. Um, I, I won't go into detail, but how many other things can we standardize? Um, that one line of code, just to back up, one of my favorite developer stories is uh, I was running a, um, a, a startup and one of my junior developers came to me and said, I have a solution to the problem that you asked me to go and solve it. And that problem was we were having a lot of fraud with our payment system, right? And um, so I asked him to go and find some anti-fraud solution. And he, he's like, I, I found an even better solution. It's a new payment provider and they have integrated fraud and uh, uh, we should switch. And I'm like, but we're using like the big payment provider uh, and I asked him some questions and, and uh, he told me, well, it's a new startup out of Ireland. And I'm like, oh, no way. Like, what? Some new startup? We're not going to put our payments through a new startup out of Ireland. And then he convinces me, though, and this is the point. He's like, but there's one line of code that they gave me. Their documentation is beautiful. And I used it. I got to it working within 10 minutes. And let me demo it. And it solves all of our problems. And that one small Irish startup was Stripe. And so from that moment on, I've been using Stripe. And it's because of that one line of code and that stuck in my head. And so I wanted to have our developers have this one line of code that they can insert into their app for their customers uh, and get it running and look like rock stars. And so that, that's the 
the background of that one line of code. It, it's turned into not just JavaScript, but also a React component and a Vue.js component as well. I'm building an Angular component as well. Yeah, I think especially for, you know, a lot of us API developer types and sort of people listening to this podcast probably came from a mostly backend perspective. And I might hear a bit different, but um, a lot of us were kind of like doing backend and kind of vomiting something out to the front end and hoping someone would tidy it up later. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to use that. That's exactly how I felt as well. But I think with age, you sort of understand that you need some more balance. Um, so yes, yeah, let's try and balance that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully there's other people too. Otherwise I'm just admitting to being a bad developer, but I definitely am not full stack. Um, and so things like Stripe, things like, um, you know, even the Shopify buy button, uh, all these integrations that are just like this one line of code. It's not just the one line of code. I could write a hundred lines of code. It's the fact that I don't have to build a front end for this part of it, right? Like think about talking about the integrations, you know, you've got your, you're building an application, you've got a list of integrations of a bunch of third party SaaS systems that your users want to connect with for whatever reason. Building the interface for that sucks because you've got to build this whole, like, you know, create applications and, you know, log in here and redirect back there. And then you've got to like add some webhook URLs that all need testing. And that's hard, although we've done some podcasts about how to make that easier. Um, and then you've got to have all of the various different forms and different things and all of just, just that building that is time I could spend doing literally anything else in the world. Um, so the fact that you've taken that interface off my hands is a, is a huge value in itself. But, but let's talk about all the stakeholders involved here, right? So we're just talking about developer, right? Which we typically only think of, right? And back-end developers, to your point, Phil, not even front-end. Yeah, forget about the front-end guys. But there's more. There's a CTO, and the CTO cares about different things than the developer, right? They care about security, for example. Massive, right? And if you're building an HR software company, you really care about security because you're handling um, data that is super sensitive. Um, but look at support people, because after you launch, those poor support people are going to have to make, to talk to your customers. and like, hey, I'm trying to hook up to Workday. Something's not working. So they need, they need help as well. They need something. They need documentation. Um, but even marketers, we don't even talk about marketing. How do we launch this thing? How do we educate the marketer to launch? You know, what, do, what do they say on Twitter? What do they say on their release uh, documentation for this new integration? And it's not just one integration. Like when they add us, they get all of They get all 92 today. We're going to be at 100 in a couple of weeks. But so... They can launch all of them at once. And so that's a massive amount of information that they actually have to do the work on. And, and to, I would actually posit that the developer is actually the, the lucky one in this case, because they can build this in an, uh, an afternoon. The marketer is going to have to build a ton of documentation and the support people are going to have to build a ton of documentation in their FAQs uh, to support all of these. I think that um, an, an important bit of additional context to provide onto this story too is, so Phil sort of cheekily mentioned before that uh, I, I come to this world from a very different perspective. The reason Phil and I met is because he was the API developer looking for a, a, a front end a full stack person to uh, clean up his, his vomit mess, as I think he put it before. Uh, and that's honestly, that's how we met, right? Like he, he had a bunch of really interesting ideas and I was used to taking the data from the interesting ideas and putting it into a presentable, human, understandable experience. And, um, you know, if I, if I could teleport back in time and talk to Mike from a bunch of years ago, I think the biggest thing I've learned from then is that like, much like you don't want to keep building Salesforce integrations, I really don't want to keep building login screens. I really don't want to keep building the same payments screen, you know, to, to like design the UX of how to put in a credit card number or something like that over and over. Uh, and I, I do think that coming from both angles of this, from a developer perspective, the value is there and it makes a lot of sense. And now in the world I'm living in now where I'm building a company and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, Roy also, uh, in the startup world these days and, um, requirements change quickly and needs of, uh, the team change quickly. And the thing that's on fire the most changes very quickly. And, uh, I think if you turned to me and said like, yeah. And so the story to get your people plugged into the tools they need faster is a reasonably simple integration with documentation in one place with value proposition for, um, help and security and all those things. Uh, like that, uh, with the wisdom of time behind me sounds a whole lot like something that maybe I should be paying attention to and, you know, maybe perking up a little bit when something like that comes across my inbox too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you, you're right. With 
you know, you, you can build so much and, and the, the requirements are never over your product. People will always give you new requirements. So you're always going to be busy. No matter how much uh, importance and time do you want to spend on things. And I would rather spend time. So back to my previous startups, when I look back and I try and do learn from my mistakes, one of my mistakes is that I think we spent too much time on stuff that was core and the customer integrations weren't core. I should have spent more time on working on feature sets that were core that differentiated my product from my competition. Um, so I wish I would have done more. I, would have, I wish I, I had Unified.to. Uh, to basically handle all of these customer integrations so I didn't have to do that. Um, and back to that one line of code. So it's not just the front end that's important. Um, it's also the back end. Uh, we have, I think you brought it up, we have an SDK. Um, we have a couple of SDKs. Uh, one is a TypeScript node that you can easily use, but you can use one line of code basically with that as well. To If you wanted to go and say, get contacts from a CRM or employees from uh, an HRIS system. It's basically one line of code as well. So we're, we're trying to make it as simple as possible uh, for both the back end and, and front end. Yeah, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the implementation side of things too, if that's okay, Roy. From, from a consumer perspective, um, what is the Hello World experience like for Unified if I'm uh, starting to integrate with my product stack? Right, so our end user are developers, right? So, um, they come in, they, they go through a, a little onboarding. Um, we try to get them to see the data from the API as quickly as possible. There's a couple, a couple of things they need to do. They need to say which integrations they're interested in um, and, uh, and then play around with that one line of code for that uh, embedded directory, right? So that shows like a matrix of available integration. So if they turn one on, they have one logo. They can click on that. They can enter in an API key, if it's that, or um, an OAuth uh, to screen, right? Uh, using our own credentials. They see, they visualize it through their customer's eyes, um, but once they authorize it, they also get a connection. And that's like the core object in our, in our platform. Everything runs off of a connection ID and it's abstracted, it's just an ID. There's no authentication associated with it. There's no integration type, it doesn't matter. Right. And so from a developer, then they get to use that connection ID. Uh, we give them a little bit of uh, curl code, which they can just copy and paste into their terminal. And it calls that API. It calls get whatever employees, contacts, whatever um, that integration supports. And then they actually see the data in their terminal. Uh, and so I think that's really important to, as a developer. You know, there's a lot of BS out there, companies that tell you that they can do X and it doesn't, or it's really hard. Uh, and so we want to make sure that they understand that literally within five minutes, they're going to see data, real data uh, in, uh, in a unified API. And that data object that comes back is unified. It is, it is one of the core benefits that we work our buds off. Um, we expand those fields to the maximum that we can, and they're always the same format. And so as a developer, it doesn't matter where uh, I'm, uh, my customer's data is in, it's always going to be the exact same format, it's a unified data model. And that's actually how we started, though, with abstracting these data models away. Uh, that's one of our core, I think, benefits of this. And so that's what they're going to see. And then once they test that out, maybe they're testing it with uh, their own accounts instead of their customers' accounts, hopefully. Um, you know, then they they have this uh, roadmap in terms of launching, testing, and then launching it uh, in, in production. How about change management? Literally no one's favorite topic, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, so something that seems like a benefit is that if there's, you know, you're, you as an application developer are building um, an application around an integration with some third party, and that third party releases version two and three and four. And they're not really important. They've renamed some methods for no obvious reason, and they've added a few parameters that you're not using. But as far as Unified is concerned, like it's easy enough to update that integration. So the, I'm, I'm assuming that the, the users of Unified don't really notice those version changes most of the time. But what happens when a big change happens and like the data is different? Can you, how much length do you go to, to kind of help maintain that interface and at, at what point do Unified's users need to do something differently? 
if that's a big change. Yeah. So as you can imagine with the unified data model, not all fields are available for all of the integrations. Um, and we try super hard. Uh, like there are some times when one API call into our system results in about 10 different API calls to the software um, that we're targeting, just because we're trying to collect all the data so that we can build our own unified object model. And so when those API calls change or they, their data changes, their format changes, whatever, our customers never see that. Um, we do, and we actually have a lot of automated monitoring in place so that we are ahead of those changes. Um, and that is, of course, one of our core benefits to our customers. They don't ever have to maintain that awareness. We do. So we're super hyper vigilant about that, about these changes. And we're also looking at the data coming across. Again, API documentation is usually out of date compared to what's actually happening on this API server. Right. As you talked about, the front end guys typically get it last um, and then the marketing people get it last. And so there's this this waterfall method where the developer is way ahead of everybody else, especially the API developer. So we do um, have quite a lot of automation to make sure that we're always ahead. Um, but when, uh, let's say, Workday changes their APIs or data models or anything like that, our customers will never see that change because we've already changed along with that and we have this unified system. We do expand that model. Uh, so there aren't, it's not, it's not always static. So we will add another field, like, you know, we'll add compensation or whatever, um, but that's an addition to, and it's not backwards uh, breaking. Okay, so whatever nonsense they're up to, you kind of stray for a unified, a unified interface that is using evolution more than whatever breaking changes they've gone with because there's this easy examples um slightly contrived and silly but um the the like usage of names i've seen in apis before where they're like we used to have first name and last name and we realized that's not how names work so now we use name and they like literally so somebody somewhere just writes a bit of code that says if first name and last name then mush them together to do name and then you've got that covered all the other way around where they used to have name and they've gone, oh crap, we want to integrate with Stripe that demands first name and last name. So somebody somewhere has written an explode space. Um, and, and that again, is not how names work. Um, but people do that sort of stuff. Like, are you doing that sort of thing as versions change in the background? Or are you asking users to say, hey, the data model's changed, can you update somehow? No, so we're monitoring that ourselves. And again, we've, we've automated that. Um, I think the example that you just gave is a really good reason why you actually don't want to build these integrations in-house because you're basically building a, an architecture that is inferior and it's not, you're not really thinking that long. You're thinking, I only have this one integration to build. Product managers ask me to build Salesforce. I'm going to build Salesforce. And now I'm going to cut corners. Yes, first name, last name. I'm just going to like add them, add the two strings. Um, and then something changes and then your architecture can't handle it or you're asked to add in a second integration and then your architecture really can't handle it. So we've done the homework there. Um, we're actually going to come up with an infographic in terms of all the differences, uh, you know, first name, last name versus display name versus, you know, API key versus OF, all of that's the differences. There are quite a lot of differences that uh, are going to make our head spin and are making our head spin right now, but we've automated enough of it with our architecture that it, all of this works. Uh, now, again, it's our responsibility to make sure that it is working. So if they do change first name, uh, last name to just display name, we'll fix, fix that before anyone notices. Um, I think what we've seen, though, more often is that they'll change the object name. So they'll go from like opportunity to deal or something like that. Uh, and then that, that's a much bigger change because the data model is completely different. And maybe the associations between the different objects that they have are now different as well. Um, so that that's a little bit more time uh, for us to to go in there and uh, refactor that. Yeah, I suppose some of them, like I seem to remember Stripe doing something along the lines of changing payment into like charge and receivable or something. And that just like is a fundamental change to how it works. But I'm assuming that many of the um, integrations you've gone for have kind of settled down a bit. There's, there, there's that like, early startup, everything's being renamed every five minutes kind of period. And then there's that like 
it's straight, but not changing if every other weekend, mate. Like there's, you know, it kind of settles down at some point to a point. Um, and also if they're mostly around the thing verticals, I'd assume that a lot of them are, you know, it's, it's person and company and, and they're relatively stable domains in that sense as well. Yeah. So part of the unified API, um, theory is, you know, we're not only unifying the API endpoint, right? Simple REST-based API endpoint, but we're also unifying the objects. So for in the CRM space, some CRM vendors call them opportunities, some call them deals. We've chosen to use deals, but it means the same thing. Same thing with company and account. Uh, and so we tried to unify those as well. And we documented what they mean so that you can extrapolate if you know Salesforce that it's an opportunity, for example. Um, and then of course the fields are also the same. So there's really like three levels uh, that we try and, and unify. And in fact, there's even more unification. So authorization. We talked about uh, a little bit of that with our one line of code uh, to represent the embedded directory to your customers. That's for authorization. You're trying to get their authorization of their account. Um, most of the OAuth vendors out there have scopes, permission scopes. They're all different. There's no standardization at all there. So we've actually gone ahead and unified all of them. We've standardized all of them. And so again, you as a developer, if you need access to contacts and deals, you don't have to go and read about what scopes you need and then put in custom scopes into our uh, authorization directory. You can just say, I need to read and write contacts and I just need to read deals. And then we'll figure that out. So I was going to say one of the most striking things about the product altogether, which is really hard to convey through an audio medium like a podcast, uh, is the documentation that you've put together, which is sort of a meta documentation of, like you said, 93 APIs. And I think if you're listening to the show and this sounds even remotely interesting, a really interesting activity is to go just browse API documentation on unified.to.to uh, and check out uh, what this looks like. What, in practice, what it means is there are, uh, you can look at sales CRM APIs, for example, and see a list of, I don't know, it looks like a dozen or more CRMs that are supported. And the really thoughtful way that Roy, your, your team has uh, divined a, um, a nomenclature that unifies all of those things in a way that's like human understandable. I really like that you've published these, um, I guess it'd be like an entity relationship diagram of uh, the way that you you think of the types and how they interrelate here for uh, the things that, that are surfaced in your API. And so you can kind of see, regardless of the CRM you pick, for example, uh, there's a notion of a team and a user and that user might have an address or they might become a lead and turn into a user and things like that, which uh, fully zooms you out from having to think about is this uh, am I using Front or HubSpot or Drift or Intercom or all these other things? It's just getting into the meat of like, what do I need to get done here uh, rather than becoming an expert on the underlying um, principles that have been you know cast upon you by the people de delivering the software. Um, yeah. Uh, no, thank you, Mike. You know, back to the Stripe uh, example, their documentation is world-class. It's always been the best API documentation. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying ours are, are that, but we really try and we have a new design coming out shortly and we'll always have one, but it's really super important to have it um, searchable, uh, detailed, and uh, go from the top where you see this UML diagram so you can understand how things work together, but also go right to the, the bottom, like what is each field and uh, represent and so forth. So we've tried to encompass quite a lot of data there maybe too much, but I think as a developer, you want to have that optionality. Um, you know, you want to get in there quick, five minutes, boom, boom, boom. Oh yes, it works. But then, like when something doesn't work, you want to have the detail there. So we try quite, quite hard to to um, to add that in. And the other thing I would say is, after you build all of these integrations, like we have, I think twenty four HRIS integrations right now, and we're building out quite a lot more of them right now. But after you really understand the commonality, right? Um, there are quite a, a lot of differences, but the commonality in how they operate and how the relationships work. Um, and so we're giving that back to our customers. This is our understanding of how these, these elements, these objects work together. Uh, and so I, I think that's the API documentation that I want our customers to read and not Salesforce or Workday or anything like that. 
I suddenly have this overwhelming feeling that you can unplug yourself and see the matrix of how all these things are actually planned from behind the scenes. And like, uh, that, that you, you've got a, a fourth dimension of vision for these things that I would love to develop. It's really fascinating. You know, it's I'll give you a bad dad joke. Okay. Like I, I, I always tell people that my, my second language is API, mm. um, because I really feel like I could sit in and understand an API within a matter of minutes. Uh, and it's just because I've always done this, right? It's, it's you know, 10,000 hours, right? And so if you've, if you've looked at APIs all of your career, you sort of are uh, looking for specific things, you understand concepts. So yeah, I, I, I think this is the company that I think I've always should have built. I, I'm interested in the kind of the way that you talk about it, you've unified these things, right? You kind of looked at lots of different companies and, and you've come up with um, uh, unified nomenclature, and I assume a team as well, not just you. But, um, I'm wondering about things like standards. So schema.org is, is something I know that some of our listeners are super excited about. It comes up on Slack all the time. Not, not just Jason schema, it's a different usage of schema. Um, schema.org is like someone's, well, a, a large number of people have sat down and gone through everything. They've got like, they've got person, which has got address, additional name, alumni or birthplace, death place. Um, and then place is, is another type which has um, various different events and coordinates and uh, loads of properties, address, geo, whatever. An organization which has address and employees and tax numbers, and I'm just reading random fields. But then they have really obscure stuff, which is like biochem entity. like <laughs> Okay, and medical entity and a bunch of other things like that. So there's some really useful stuff and some, you know, potentially useful stuff to a tiny slice of the population. But have you thought about working with something like schema to say, instead of like, this is what unified think that, you know, this is, this is what you think a, a person should be. Maybe it could be your job to convert things to person and back again, so that you're working with the standard interface that is standard, standard, not your standard. Um, yeah. 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 So I have two comments on that. One is I love standards. Uh, in fact, in, in a previous life. Um, I was part of the IETF, which is the internet uh, standards body, uh, coming up with standards for virtual private networking, for example. Um, so I, I, I see how a, uh, an industry explodes once you have standards and all of the companies within it can communicate. Um, so I'm all for that and I'd love that. There's not that many standards for, say, CRM. And so we had to build and abstract away that um, I think that will happen over time. There are uh, standards like Skim, for example, uh, which is for HR user provisioning, which has a user object. Um, it's not bad. Um, but I think that the comment that I would make to your schema uh, example is that if you make something too broad, too big, then it sort of loses value, right? And so if you, if you define a user object for everything, then it's too big. And so what we've done, and, and you can take a look, like, so there's, um, there's actually a section on our API documentation called like user objects, which is like, hey, we have a bunch of user objects. They're all called different things like contact or employee or candidate uh, or customer, but they're specific to the actual use cases. So a CRM contact is different than an HR employee object, which is different than maybe uh, a ticketing customer object. And they're done for a purpose. They, sh they share quite a lot of information, uh, fields, same fields, name, email, that kind of stuff. But because they're for different use cases, they're going to have different fields that are relevant for that use case. And so that's the, that's the angle that we picked. Uh, we don't want to add noise by having this meta massive user object that contains everything under the sun. Uh, so that, that's, you know, you can, we can argue whether or not that was the right way of doing it, but that's nah, that's cool. Did. I had to ask because I knew someone would shout at me about why you didn't you just use schema.org if I didn't. So thank you for preemptively answering them. Yeah, no, I I would love to use standards and I would actively promote and uh, be active in defining those standards. Uh, yeah, that is something actually that we are looking forward to doing uh, at some point. That's very cool. Yeah, I mean, it just, just every time it's come up, like uh, stoplight brought it up a little while ago when I was working for them and you know they've got customers that have 500 different models for a flight and it's the same company just has 500 different flight models so 
things can get wildly varied. So they've kind of gone with the approach of let's help companies standardize themselves so that they have like one thing to represent the flight. And then once there's lots of different companies that represent flights, then you can start to standardize those. But if everyone's got snowflakes in their own home, then it's, it's not going to be something you can standardize. So that, that makes sense. You, you're right. You, you, you look like a company like Postman. Postman is, is growing very uh, fast. Why aren't they uh, trying to standardize some of these things, right? Readme.io, Spotlight. There's a bunch of these API management companies that are looking more at customer-facing APIs instead of just internal APIs like the API management company like Kong. Uh, so I, I think we will get there. Uh, I'm not sure that there's a standards body out there right now, but maybe, you know, schema.org, for example, could facilitate that. And like I said, uh, already there's a skim uh, that has tried to do that, although it's definitely not unified. There's quite a lot of changes and differences within uh, each one of those implementations. So, Roy, um, I, I realize we've been chatting about your product for a while here. Uh, a couple of things I want to touch upon is... Um, if uh, some of the folks listening to the show today are interested in jumping in and uh, playing with Unified, um, I noted on your site that at the moment, at least, uh, it, it lists that you are, um, sound like uh, either pre-launch or in sort of an early access mode. What's the best way to get access? Yeah, we're, um, I would say soft launch. Uh, the entire platform is operational. It's very scalable, very, very secure. We're not storing any data. We have a ton of security functionality in there, uh, even to, to store access tokens in your own database and so forth. Um, but you can just self-register. Uh, it's uh, We have a free plan to test out the system. It's free forever uh, until you want to launch. You, you, know, you want your own identity. You don't want Unified's identity in your app. Um, and so anyone can go to unified.to and uh, and no, we are not based in Tonga, the South Pacific island of Tonga, but uh, it is a, it's a cool domain, short. But uh, we also do have a promo code. It's, if you guys want to test this out, uh, we're giving out three months free. Uh, and that, that promo code is just APIs you won't hate in 2023, all in capital, no spaces, uh, so that's a really easy way to, uh, to actually test this and put it into your product. And of course, you know, looking at our Twitter feed, unified underscore API, we always post in Twitter and on LinkedIn as well. Um, and we try and post quite a lot because as you can see from our change log, we are adding a ton of new integrations and a ton of uh, features uh, within our objects, like new fields and so forth. So um We've, we've definitely figured out a way to automate the building of integrations and to put it into a very scalable architecture. Yeah, that's great. It's, uh, I think the kind of thing that, that is very encouraging too, to show developers like the, the, um, price to try is free, uh, and therefore, you know, theoretically the value proposition should be clear from there, right? Like if, if the product speaks for itself, then it's easy to get started free and, and kind of dive in. Um, yeah, and I think pricing model is really interesting that we didn't really talk about. You know, we're talking about APIs and technical stuff, which I don't think we did enough of. But um, I think pricing is so important because you want this to work with your pricing model. If you're charging your customer 20 bucks, you don't want to pay 20 bucks a month for something like this. Um, so we, we've been startup operators for a very long time. And that was something that we thought about really hard. We actually took a lot of time at coming up with a pricing model that would work that we would pay for. And we're like cheap, you know, typically, um, you know, AWS costs shouldn't be, you know, hundred percent of our profit margin. I, th I think that is something that I'm quite proud of other than all the other API integrations that, uh, and all the API technology that we've put in there, you know, not only the rest API server, but the gRPC one, the, uh, GraphQL one in there also, that all of that tech that we built uh, is, is really interesting. But the, I think the pricing model is key. Yeah, there's a lot of rabbit holes that I think we could uh, poke our way into and maybe a good reason to have you come chat with us again sometime soon, Roy. Uh, where's the best place to find you online? Um, so Roy at unified.to uh, is uh, my email address. Uh, reach out to me. Uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, um, I'm on Twitter, of course, you can find my coordinates, uh, pretty easily. And, um, yeah, I, uh, 
I'm very out here in the uh, Toronto tech scene. Love to talk to to uh, other tech entrepreneurs. Obviously, very passionate about APIs, but I'm also very passionate about the tech ecosystem uh, anywhere and um, tech entrepreneurs as well. Fantastic. And the final question I usually ask before wrapping is, are you hiring? And if so, uh, what sorts of folks are you looking for? Yeah, we are hiring. Um, so yeah, we're, we're five months old. Uh, we are um, raising, halfway through raising our pre-seed round right now, our first round of financing. And uh, we're four people right now. And we're hiring a fifth. We're hiring a, uh, we're calling a customer success manager, basically post-sales API Technical, but not coder. List loves to work with customers, get them to implement uh, our API and technology. Got it. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, if that sounds like you and you're listening to this, uh, we will make sure that Roy's contact information is all over the show notes, just as well as show notes, for, uh, sorry, just as well as links to get to Unified, uh, as well as the promo code uh, to get the three months of free access with their startup plan. Um, so make sure you check the show notes to grab those. Uh, Roy, it's been fantastic having you uh, chat with us and hang out. Uh, we'd love to have you back and, and talk about where things are in six months, three months, a year, whatever it may be, and kind of see how things are going for you. Um, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Hey, thanks, guys. All right. Take care. Yeah. Cheers, everyone.